Welcome to CTU Speaks episode, Athletes and Activism. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I am your co-host, Andrea Parker, and I am joined with... Jim Staros. And we are so excited to have you here today on our podcast as we're going to later interview Dave Zyron, who's going to talk about how athletes are changing the game when it comes to not just playing sports, but being active in social justice issues. And I am loving this climate that we're in where people who are not, you know, just full time activists are getting to this activist role because everybody, Jim, can be an activist, right? I agree. Everybody can be. You know, and and these athletes, you know, they are they're famous and they're on TV and we know who they are, but they're not professional activists. They are amateur activists, just like any one of us can be. They happen to have a bigger stage to to play that on, but they are just regular people like us as far as being an activist goes. And I think that's really important. And, you know, the sports figures have taken the lead in this a lot over the years, Ms. Parker. They have. You had Colin Kaepernick, who decided to take a knee when they played the Star Spangled Banner because he thought there was so much, you know, social injustice, um, police brutality. And people, you know, kind of crucified him during that time. But now they're saying that he was, you know, a pioneer. And now people's eyes are open. And you see the NBA has put on like they put on a mini strike where they refused to play some games um, after the um, shooting of Jacob Blake. That's right. And I think, you know, it's it's so weird that just a few years ago, everybody was on Kaepernick's butt about kneeling and that's disrespectful. And why are you bringing politics into this? And now everybody it's the other way around. It's like the complete opposite. Everybody's got to do it. And in fact, the National Hockey League was pretty much forced to have a little work stoppage themselves because all the other sports are like, "Uh, dudes, what are you guys doing? How come you're not? you're not protesting. And they're like, oh, damn, we better protest. And I mean, that shows the power of doing this, that, you know, the NHL was not probably going to do this on their own, but these professional athletes were forced to do it because of the pressure of their peers. And as educators, we can be activists as well in the classroom. What better way to educate our children than to show them people who they look up to, um, you know, a lot, a lot of young men look up to athletes in basketball, football, hockey, baseball, and they're mm-hmm. all doing something productive in this um, activism world. And there are a lot of, uh, you know, rappers, singers, other entertainers who are doing these things um, and just, you know, politicians and regular everyday activists. So, you know, it's it's you can do this because all you have to do in order to be an activist is want change. And to do something to say you want change, you can see anything that you feel is an injustice in the world, no matter how small or how big, then figure out what you can do to make change. And that's what activism is, because and there are so many ways that you can go with that. And so close school has just started. So what better way to have these conversations with children? And, you know, you don't have to shy away from discomfort. Discomfort is okay. It allows us to see things from multiple perspectives. I definitely have a game plan to make sure the conversations are respectful um, and that you try not to offend as much as possible. We know that some people may feel uncomfortable in talking about certain topics, but that's just life. And sometimes conversations can make us feel uncomfortable, but it can lead us to, to change. And so I encourage you educators as we are back remotely 
in the school year to maybe show some videos and have some discussion about, you know, Black Lives yeah. Matter, about police brutality, uh, about racism, um, about school equity. Now, there are just so many different platforms, so many different ways to go with that. So, yeah. And, and I want to say as a, as a social studies teacher, it's not just up to the social studies teachers to do this. Um, obviously, it's it might be slightly easier for us to do it since that's part of our actual curriculum. But um, at my old school at, at King College Prep, we had a, a math teacher there who was really into talking about social activism and integrated that into his classroom. I even had to go in there and see it one day. I'm like, how do you, how do you get math in this? Right. But he did. And he did a great job of it. And the kids loved it. They were really into it. And in fact, um, you know, one of the best things is when they talk about somebody else's class in your classroom, like they'll be like, oh, this was, just, I just had this in my math class. My math, did you talk to my math teacher about this? Yeah. I mean, that's very cool. And when kids see that all the teachers are interested or that they care about the same issues that are affecting their community, it changes the relationship you have with your students. And it's not just me telling a kid, hey, turn to page 53 and read this. It's about, hey, th this is life. This is, this is why we do what we do. It's to make the world a better place. And that's one of the things CTU has really been focused on over the last decade or so is this social activism within the union. It's not just about, um, you know, give me my contract and give me my prep and I'm good. It's about how do we make our community around us better and make it a better place for all the people that in our school and in our city and community. That's true. See, to you, as I said in the previous podcast, we are definitely a union that never sleeps. We are constantly uh -huh. at bat for our students, our families and our members. So just this summer, as I was part of the Summer Organizing Institute, there are many injustices we saw in Chicago, in our in our field of education. And so one of those things was uh, school resource officers or police officers right. um, in the Chicago public school system who had a contract of $33 million um, last school year. But yet there uh, seemed like there was not a lot of um, safety being practiced in the schools. And it seemed like Black children or Black students were disproportionately arrested compared to their population. Um, black students are only 36% right. of the population of CPS, but yet they had police encounters 73% of the time. And there's just something wrong with that picture. And so because of the activism of CTU, uh, their budget has been slashed from 33 million to 12 million this nice. school year. It's not in zero, but again, when you are right. an activist, we take those wins and a win is a win. Right. And the fact that it was cut um, so those are those are good things. And also, uh, CTU, we are working on fair tax and you will hear more about um, fair tax legislation that's going to be on the ballot in November, where the richest um, uh, Illinois will pay their fair share and their you know, yeah. taxes will go up slightly, which will give us at least like three billion dollars in the state of Illinois budget. So there are a lot of things that we're doing because. Activism is comprehensive. It's not just necessarily focusing on one thing. At CTU, we just don't focus, like Jim said, on bread and butter issues. We try to make sure that our educational system is proactive and it shows we care about our members, our students, our families, our community members, um, because education is part of a community and schools are part of a community. So 
This is what we do at CTU. So if you're not a member of CTU, become a member of CTU. If you're not involved in CTU, get involved in CTU. There are many committees and they'll be in the show notes. So uh, on how to look at some committees and see where you feel like you fit in. That's right. And one of the other places you guys can fit in if you are interested is CTU has a policy fellowship. And the policy fellowship applications just came out last week. Um, they are due the middle of September. Um, but basically what we do is um, these are teachers in Chicago that are concerned about particular issues or policies that they are uh, that they're passionate about. Maybe it affects your classroom. Maybe it affects the city as a whole. We've had issues in there dealing with how to more fully engage parents who are not English speakers. How do we involve them in LSCs when they can't get involved? Um, and they don't. Need, sometimes they don't even send out the applications in the languages that the parents understand. Um, we've had stuff dealing with budgetary issues across the entire city with issues of special education, um, all kinds of different things. Principal tenure, one of the more interesting projects last year was about how uh, principal tenure and how long they've been a teacher, how that affects their effectiveness as a principal. It was really interesting. I did not realize there was that much of a connection between that. We also had a really great project last year on anti-racist teaching and how that's important across the city. And um, this is one of those things that CTU is really focusing on a lot this year. And there's been a lot of trainings on anti-racist teaching and things like that as well. But if you are interested in being part of the policy fellowship for this year, please look in your email for the applications. We'll have a link to it also in the show notes. If that's something you're interested in, the top 12 people get to be in the policy fellowship. This is our third year of it. It's uh, actually kind of exciting. Yes. Yeah, so it's a very competitive process, but it's definitely worth it. You'll learn so much about policy, about laws, about how to advocate and things like that. And you get a stipend at the end. That's true. You do. And you know what? I, I got one more thing I got to mention because this kind of pissed me off a little bit when I was reading it. And we were we were doing a little review for the, the show just before we got on here. And I was looking up some stuff about the school resource officers and some of the stuff that changed. This is in on WTTW's website. They've got three big things that changed. Uh, one, that school resource officers can have no sustained allegations within the past five years involving excessive use of force. That there can be no allegations in the past five years uh, where it directly relates to verbal or physical interaction with the youth. And no open complaints with reasonable probability that the officer may receive discipline for excessive force, verbal or physical interaction with youth. Now that's changed. But so that means that it used to be cool if you had excessive complaints about um, assault or um, physical interaction or excessive force, then you used to be able to be a school resource officer. So you're one of these people that's always beating on people. You're, that was cool to have them in the schools. Right. I did not know that was a rule, honestly. I found this, but this was my first time finding out. That's why I'm a little mad about it right now. I'm a little, little hot right now about this. Okay, well, I hope you cool how out. How did you think that was a good idea? How did anybody think that was a good idea? Teenagers can be can be hotheads sometimes. They get they get mad. They're emotional. That, that's, that's true. What they are. They got full size amount of hormones and a pint sized body. This is sort of how it works. And you know, and now we're gonna have people in the building who they have experience with have using excessive force in the past. 
Who thought that was a good idea? Lori, you thought that was a good idea? Seriously? Come on now. All right. I'm done. Thank you for that, Jim. And thank you for not getting too hot. And <laughs> but I totally understand where you're coming from. Injustice can make you hot. That's why we have to be activists so we can have mm-hmm. a way to channel that hotness and cool down. So that's right. We're going to now interview our guest, Dave Zirin, who is the sports editor of Nation Magazine. All right. So here we are with Dave Zirin. He is the sports editor for the Nation Magazine. He's written a ton of different books on sports and civil rights and activism. How are you doing there today, Dave? Uh, doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for being a part of CTU Speaks. And what a great combination, sports and activism, politics. Love it. Oh, yes. Uh, These are busy times in that world. No question about it. Yeah, I bet. All kinds of stuff are going on now. I mean, we've got the the activism in the streets and now we've got, you know, a lot of the different uh, professional athletes around the country are using their platform to really step up and take a stand for what they believe to be right. That's right. That's what we got. And it's so good to have that kind of uh, megaphone in the world of sports, to have them using their hyper exalted brought to you by Nike platform to actually right. say something about the world we're living in. Right. Absolutely. So many sports teams like the NBA have like withheld their labor or did a, you know technically a strike. But are you thinking they can do more to bring awareness to the social injustices, especially when it comes to police brutality? Well, I mean, I think they're, they've only just started. Okay. Um, and I think them going on strike as they did, it was a political strike uh, for racial justice, a political strike for black lives, a wildcat strike for black lives that they did last week. And then, of course, it was the NBA, the WNBA. It spread to Major League Baseball, spread to the National Hockey League, spread to Major League Soccer. I mean, it's like nothing we've ever seen before in the history of sports. So we're kind of operating without a compass here. This entire thing's being written in pencil, not pen. Mm. So we don't know where this is going. Um, And there's no real historical precedent for any of this. And it's not even like the players, but even like referees, you said, like are getting involved. Because they have their own union as well. Mm-hmm. The referees marched um, it, wearing anti-racist shirts. They all marched together in masks um, inside the bubble, the COVID bubble, where the NBA players are playing in Orlando. But it, it's it's a very dynamic moment. So um, I, it's hard to say where it's going to go, but this thing is right now on a knife's edge. I mean, the players are uh, feeling themselves. The players are ready to speak out. And if there are more instances, and tragically, it feels more like an inevitability in Trump's America, but if there are more incidences of white nationalist violence, police violence, militia violence, I mean, the players are ready to act. So I know you've mentioned that um, good basketball players are professionalized from childhood. When they make it to the NBA, they're constantly cautioned not to get involved in uh, political issues. How are some of these changes in sports players? How do they engage the process and and their workers? But how can they use these platforms to be the role models for social justice? I mean, they're they're doing it. Um, I think that the development of social media over the last 10 years has had the effect of also helping the players develop their voices about how to speak past the filter of the sports media and directly to their fans. And in the process, they've built up for themselves uh, tremendous audiences uh, that respond to what they have to say. 
Um, and it's been a very effective tool for the athletes to be heard. And what they're going to do going forward, how they can do this more is I think they just have to keep doing what they're doing is staying very aware of what's happening in the world to not live with blinders on and to respond to the crisis that's gripping this incredibly broken country. And the players know it's broken country. I mean, they're, they're living in this uh, bubble in Orlando with Black Lives Matter written on the court. I mean, right. they, they know that this is a broken country. And one of the reasons why they went on strike was the contradiction just became too great uh, between, right. you know, like like having all of this messaging about Black Lives Mattering, but being inside this bubble, seeing Jacob Blake shot in Kenosha and feeling like there's nothing they could do about it. So I think that's the answer to the question is they're doing it. But one of the things I think that we can maybe see more of, and I hope we see more of, is them u- utilizing their power as workers to be heard and hopefully seeing the other labor unions pick up that mantle. And so we could have this phrase striking for black lives uh, become something that comes part of our vocabulary. Right. Now, I know that it's it seems that, you know, basketball players, both men and women, They've been especially at the forefront for calls for racial justice throughout the years. And I was wondering if there's something about the structure of basketball that makes that to be more likely to happen, or is it just this random mix of individuals within the NBA and WNBA? Well, I think that one of the starting points for understanding it is that uh, LeBron James, uh, the most famous player in the land, he decided My he was favorite. going to be a political athlete. Yeah, so so he um, organized, along with Dwayne Wade, the Miami Heat team to all wear hoodies um, after the, the murder of Trayvon Martin. And, you know, that was almost 10 years ago. And so when LeBron did that, what it did was it kind of put this force field out over other players. So it made it safe to speak out. And I think that changed the dynamics in the NBA pretty dramatically uh, for that generation of players who were coming up. And then there's also the fact that, you know, NBA players are very good at social media. And some of that is just the public face of the NBA. They're out there in shorts and tank tops. You know, when you go, you know, it's different from the NFL where you're buried under a helmet. Uh, it's, 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 it's cooler and, and it has a younger audience than Major League Baseball. And so, so the, all those dynamics, the fact that it was a youth audience, the fact the use of social media, the presence of LeBron, all of that together, I think, has created that particular recipe for why the NBA. And then, of course, the obvious answer is that it's a league that the centrality of the league is black talent and black genius. And so when you have a Black Lives Matter movement, it's going to intersect uh, with the NBA with a particular depth. Now, you did say that, you know, things can change. Some real change can happen. They continue to stay in and keep moving and keep going. So how do we ensure these players are in this for the long haul? Like, how do we hope and get get them involved to stay in for the long haul to see some systemic change? Yeah, I mean, I think um, trying to figure out ways in which unions can reach out and show support, trying to build mutual alliances reaching out to the NBA Players Association and their president uh, or executive director, I should say, Michelle Roberts. Um, and hopefully that will help build that kind of dialogue between uh, the players and the rest of the labor movement. But I think for now, it's still so new 
that uh, I think that what we're relying on is the fact that these players are kind of creating their own networks and their own um, th- their own sort of s- semi-formal organizations inside their union and inside their sport to talk about these issues going forward. Do you think that the advocacy that's taking place right now in in the sports arena would have would have happened if Colin Kaepernick hadn't taken such heat for what he did back in the, you know, four or five years ago? Yeah, August of 2016 is when he first took that knee. And I think that's definitely part of the recipe. I mean, there are tons of factors that have gone into this. But the fact that Colin Kaepernick, it's so interesting, uh, the fact that Colin Kaepernick took that knee, said he was doing it because police were getting away with murder, and he was absolutely excoriated for it, uh, he's now viewed as somebody who is prophetic in the issues that he was trying to raise. And to me, it's very similar to when Muhammad Ali said he wasn't going to fight in the war in Vietnam, and he was a villain for saying that. But it really only took a few short years for masses and masses of people to say, you know what, he was actually right about that. And therefore he deserves our respect and our support as he comes back into boxing. I don't know if Colin Kaepernick's ever going to get the chance to come back into football. Uh, But I do know that this young generation of players, I mean, we can call them generation Kaepernick if we want to. I mean, it was four years ago. So if you're a 23 year old player, that means you were 19 when he took that knee. And so you've you've grown up with this idea that Colin Kaepernick was really a martyr uh, for the process of raising the issue of police violence through sports. Do you think he's still that cautionary tale of what can happen to you if you stand up for racial justice? Uh, I think he was as of a few months ago. Um, I don't think they can use him as a cautionary tale anymore. Um, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, he said that uh, that we were wrong to not that he wished he'd listened to Colin Kaepernick back in 2016. Now, I think one of the reasons Roger Goodell is saying this is a way to calm down <laughs> right. angry players and to prevent there from being a strike week one of the NFL season. Uh, but, you know, that's the NFL is doing all kinds of things like they're going to play lift every voice and sing. They're going to before the game. They're going to be. Um, have messages like end racism uh, in the in the uh, end zones. They're, they're desperately trying to keep the players from going out and showing that they take the issue of racial justice seriously. And I think because of that, using Colin Kaepernick as a kind of ghost story to, to scare players to stay in line, that's going to be a very difficult thing for the NFL to do, uh, given how he's regarded among this generation of players. You know, you can go all the way back to some of the, the early the early players in sports. You got Bill Russell and people like this that really stood up for social justice back, you know, back when he was up in this coming up through the 60s. And then you've got this. Is a, a, it's a thread that goes through all of sports and there's different players at different times. And I was thinking that, you know, the history books 20, 30 years from now, they're going to probably be looking at Kaepernick in the same way we now look at Ali is not only was he great at his sport, but he's a great humanitarian and a great spokesperson for racial justice and equality. No question. I think um, it might be possible that in a few years, the NFL will have an award called the Colin Kaepernick Award for right. the player that um, embodies the issues of, of, of social and racial justice. Uh, it, it's it's quite a thing. I mean, you know, it, it's I remember back in 2016 that you know, if you defended Colin Kaepernick, as I did, as others did, 
I mean, you were guaranteed to uh, bring down all kinds of hate and derision. Oh, you're against this country. You're against the military, all of these things. And yet the message of what he was trying to say, I mean, has gotten through on a mass level. I mean, one of the most stirring parts of the incredible marches that took place after the police murder of George Floyd was seeing the way people would take a knee on these demonstrations. I mean, the direct references to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and it was it was something that just became part of the, the, the lexicon of protest. You would take a knee. And it was Kaepernick who really started all that. And it's a, a, a tribute to his bravery and a tribute to the way he has stayed firm uh, in the years since then. Yes. So we know that teachers, we are, you know, educating the next, you know, sports players and nurses and doctors. So what can teachers learn from the sports teams who are taking stands? What can we learn from them in order to, you know, to bring the what we've learned back into our classroom and educate our kids about how to stand up for, you know, racial injustice or social injustice? Well, first of all, I think the story itself is a great teaching tool Mm -hmm. because it shows that athletes, they don't come down from outer space to show us the way. They're not necessarily the leaders. I look at athletes as the amplifiers more than as the leaders. Uh, The leaders are the people who took to the streets this summer. The leaders are the people who raised their voices after the police murder of George Floyd. The leaders are the people who do the thankless work, whose names aren't known, Um, And it's because of their work that the players had the confidence to act. So I think that's a great way to teach young people about how social change happens and how it occurs and how the culture changes, too. Like if we want uh, better protest music, we need to have better protests. You know, if we want more athletes speaking out, uh, we need to have more people speaking out. And why would we ask of athletes what we wouldn't ask of ourselves? So I think there's a great lesson there to teach Uh, young people about how culture changes um, through sports. I also think there are the basic lessons that are universal, like telling young people that, you know, it's, it's cool. It's a good thing to stand up for yourself. And if you do stand up for yourself and stand up for others uh, in the long run, you're probably going to be, be proven right for doing so. And we, we can't, uh, you know, change the world through, through timidity. I mean, you do have to, figure out a way to be heard. And that can be very tough for young people. Um, but I think in the athletes, you have real role modeling of what it looks like when you do stand up. And, you know, I think that's exciting to folks, especially people who um, tune out uh, of regular classroom activities, but are really into sports. Like sports can become a tunnel or an avenue to speak about these other issues. Well, I was I was thinking about like, the intersection of how sports and education kind of come together. So you've got a lot of sports figures that talk about how education is very important and things like this as well. And, you know, looking at these sports figures and how they advocate for social justice. So when you, when we're trying to teach us in a classroom or a classroom activity, why do you think it's appropriate for sports figures to advocate for social justice? And why, what would you say to people who argue they should just play the game, do their job, and stop mixing sports and politics? Well, I would say first and foremost that politics have always been a part of sports, always. Uh, I mean, I ask sometimes uh, when, when I was teaching or speaking at a class, uh, this is a, a college history class, I said, who was the first president to ever take a, uh, do an event 
with a professional sports team. And people guess, some people guess like John Kennedy, some people guess Ronald Reagan. And I say, no, the answer was Johnson, not Lyndon Johnson, Andrew Johnson. It goes back to 1866. One of the first professional baseball teams was invited to the White House because Andrew Johnson wanted to use them symbolically as a way to say the country was past the Civil War. And we now have this new national game that is baseball. So sports has always been used politically. Give examples of of the military flyovers before games. That's a political action. Uh, Generals who toss up the coin. Uh, before, uh, you know, before uh, heads and tails to see, you know, who gets the ball first. Uh, there's all sorts of, of, of political messaging through sports. Um, and yet, at the, so when people, so I would say when people say sports and politics don't mix, I feel like what they're saying is that sports and a certain kind of politics don't mix, namely the politics of people fighting oppression and people fighting for equity. And then that leads to another really good classroom discussion about why sports has always been, almost since the beginning of sports itself, this incredibly fertile ground to speak about the need for equity. And it's the very simple reason, and I think even like really young folks can get this, is that the whole, um, the whole ethic of sports is that if you're good enough, you get to play. It's a level playing field. And the best people, they get to play. If you're good, you play. Unfortunately, our country is not a level playing field. So when sports start, you could be a great female athlete. You're not going to get on the field. You could be a great black athlete. You're going to be in a segregated league. So the fight to make sports equal and to actually get opportunities in sports has also been the fight to make this country more equal. So the political quest by athletes for equity is something we should listen to Because over the the decades and decades, going back to the turn of the 20th century, it's proven to be a battle that's been on the side of right. What would you say would be, like for our students, what would they be able to do? How can they take part of some of these stands that the that the athletes are taking when, when they're not a LeBron James or a Colin Kaepernick themselves, what can they do to kind of be part of these movements and the the larger progressive movement in this country towards racial justice? Well, I mean, it starts by looking for opportunities locally uh, to organize yourself and be heard. Hopefully there's um, a school group or organization that they could involve themselves in. And if they're an athlete, uh, they need to maybe know some of the history that after Colin Kaepernick took his knee, uh, people took knees across the country, not just football players, but high school cheerleaders, high school soccer players, middle school volleyball players. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a, a book right now where I, I interviewed dozens of these folks. It's called the, Ka- the Kaepernick Effect. Hopefully it'll get published someday. But I, I got to mm-hmm. interview a lot of these young people who, who took that knee. And I'm hoping the book can be a tool in this process because it shows that, you know, you don't have to be some sort of star athlete. Like I interviewed this one young woman uh, who was going to high school in Chicago and she was doing uh, junior ROTC and, uh, and she did archery at the school and she just started taking a knee. People were like, you should be kicked out of junior ROTC. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm you know, expressing my freedom of speech. Racism is a problem in this country. I don't stand for this flag. I don't stand for this anthem uh, because of what it's done to my people. And, and it's, uh, it's powerful. It's a powerful step. And, um, and, and uh, hopefully the book can 
um, imbue young people with the sense that uh, anything is possible if they're willing to stand up. Wow, that's a great ending. <laughs> it is a great ending. Thank you so much, David Zirin, for being on the podcast today and uh, letting us know about this intersection between uh, social justice and sports. Oh, thank you very much. It's my honor, especially because the CTU has inspired me and my family so Aww. much over the years. Um, my, my wife is a teacher here in D.C., uh, they go through their own struggles, and it just every time CTU stands up, trust me, those vibrations are felt nationally. Well, thank you so much. I, I and again, I definitely appreciate your ideas on how to incorporate sports into the classroom and how to uh, make at, you know activists about our young people and related to sports because our young people like sports so much. So I'm excited to get back in the classroom and have these conversations with our students. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank oh, you. Thank we'll you. looking for that book. Ah, okay. I hope it comes out <laughs> next year. Hope, hope. It but, will. but I'll make sure to send, I'll make sure to send CTU a box. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate I love that. that. That's great. Thank you, everybody. All right, take care. Thanks. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of CTU Speaks with Miss Parker and I interviewing Dave Zirin. That was a really uh, interesting interview with him, wasn't it? It was very fantastic. And I, I love just, again, the direction where people are going when they see injustice on TV or hear about it that we're no longer going to be silent. I'm, like, I'm thankful that people are using their platforms to not just, you know, make more money or to build their brand, but to help people who are voiceless or who are just not even heard and to bring light to the injustice so we can be a better country. That's right. I think it was, it's really neat how he connects this with the youth and with education um, and, and just that everybody can be involved in activism and it doesn't have to just be the people who are on TV and the people who are out in front doing all that stuff. It's really the workers behind the scenes to get all this stuff done. That is correct. You know, as much as LeBron's doing for stuff like this right now, it's it's not just him. It's those thousands of people working behind the scenes that actually get this stuff done. So good job to all the behind the scenes workers. And despite the fact that I'm traditionally a LeBron hater. <gasps> How dare say, you? Sacrilege. You know, you know I am. You, you know I am. But I'm going to have to say Good job, LeBron. Yes. Props on this one. Um, so, Miss Parker, if they want to get involved in the show or if they have some ideas for us, what should people do out there listening? Yes, always. Our number is 312-467-8888. Call us, leave a message, tell us what you want to hear, give us any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you have a news tip, all right, something very, like, secretive, like you want us to know, we can break some stories. Hey, leave us a message. Yes. Also, we can be reached at CTU Speaks at CTULocal1.org. And um, don't forget to sign up on your favorite podcast platform. Like us on Facebook, on Instagram, on, I don't know, something else on TikTok. Can you like things on that? I don't even know what that is, actually. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not innovative yet enough with that. So I'll, I'll, I'll see the next time. And again, don't forget to sign up or apply for the policy fellow. That's true. And don't forget about committees, too. We need a lot of help on the committees, especially the best one, the communications committee, the one that Ms. Parker and I are on. Yes. And 
thank you again for listening. We are CTU Speaks, where we only speak what matters. And I hope you all have an awesome school year and we will talk to you soon. Yes, we will.